Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast. This is episode number four. Today, we're going to be talking with David Akers, President and CEO of the Sourcing Alliance. And today's episode is called Putting Your Time Where Your Mouth Is. And we're going to be talking about strategies to grow your people in order to grow your business. We're going to talk about throwing out the idea of annual reviews to get to the point of really giving your people opportunities to grow and improve every day. We're also going to have, David's going to be sharing with us some ideas on how to implement this and make it tangible and actionable for your business so you can achieve the objectives of the Impact Leadership Podcast to grow your team, grow your business, and grow your life. Welcome to Episode 4 of the Impact Leadership Podcast. podcast where we explore leadership business and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life we're your hosts jeff dishwitz and craig matthews we believe that leaders have to put their people first and if you don't have time to grow your people then you're not leading get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business welcome to your bigger business and bigger life Welcome, everyone, and welcome, David Akers. We're excited to have you with us today. Glad to be here, guys. Thank you. So, David, you and I have known each other for quite a while, and we have, a, we have an ongoing disagreement about how and where we met. But we're within, <laughs> we're within one meeting of each other. We both Correct. acknowledge at least one meeting. And I have vivid memories of that meeting, at least the one I think is correct, at Mom's Diner when I took something away from you. Do you remember that? I remember that distinctly. Yeah. Why don't you share with the audience what I took from you that day in our meeting? Well, so I, I see myself as an idea guy, and Jeff proceeded to tell me about the fact that there's no such thing as a great idea. And <laughs> to be fair, after maybe two or three hours of debating the philosophy behind his point, I ultimately conceded that in the very narrow and precise way he was defining that statement, <laughs> that he was correct. See, great memories, great memories. Uh, yeah, because what I shared with David way back when is something I still hold to, which is uh, I think labeling something great is the kiss of death to the idea because somehow it's going to happen by itself. So my premise is there's lots of good ideas that become great when they're actually implemented. Mm, good point. So that, that, was our, that was how we opened with about a three or four hour breakfast. <laughs> right. Breakfast, like lunch, dinner, cocktails. We slept over. It was, it was yeah. a long day. <laughs> Turned into a slumber party, huh? Right, exactly. Nice. I think we've done all of those things, including a couple ER visits, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> wow. Talk about. That's some serious discussion there. Yeah. So, so today, David, we're going to talk about a couple things. Uh, we're delighted to have you to share uh, your wisdom and really your wisdom, which is based upon experience and things you've actually done. And you and I have shared this term before about context. And I want to make sure our audience has your context. So give us, you know, a quick overview of your entrepreneurial journey, you know, what you did a little on that and where you're at today and what it is. Well, uh, the, you know, my career got started. I worked on Capitol Hill for about four months and decided I like politics, but I didn't necessarily like working for politicians. Although I, <laughs> I tried it for a little longer. I ran a county commissioner campaign here in Cuyahoga County and where Cleveland is. 
And then I went to work at, for a commercial real estate consulting firm and, and also in the commercial mortgage brokerage industry. And I realized that I am a much better partner than employee. <laughs> and yes. so I, a little over 20 years ago, began my entrepreneurial career. I seem to specialize in moving into industries where I don't know anything about them, but in listening <laughs> from the outside in, I'm like, oh, there's clearly a better way to do whatever is happening in this industry and really cross-pollinating things I learned from entirely different industries and bringing them together. So over the years, I've done work around uh, fashion, which if you look at my very simple attire, you might laugh uh, in, in the world of <laughs> yeah, Jeff, you know me. I have no fashion sense, which is why I <laughs> that, that software tool. But done work in fashion. I've done work with state lotteries, uh, actually with with sonic devices that keep deer away from cars. That was one for hmm. a little while. Uh, financing parking lots, surface parking lots in downtown Cleveland and in northern Ohio. And then about 15 years ago, started what I'm doing now, which is what's called public sector group purchasing. And we aggregate buying power from cities and counties and school districts and colleges and universities and streamline their procurement process so they can save time and, and save money, which enables them to have more resources to invest hmm. in doing what they exist to do, be that protecting the citizenry or educating children or whatever the case may be. Gotcha. Yeah, so, so tell, so David, real quick, what's, tell us a little bit about where is your business today? You know, what's your team like and size and uh, I think you've, you've uh, got some funding, so you've been through that process. Just give us a real quick overview of that, the company today. Well, the company today, again, we've been around for about 15 years. We have customers or members in our, in our group purchasing organization all over the country. There, there's a, a pretty solid concentration in the Midwest because that's where we started, but we go from coast to coast. Uh, we have, we call them programs, but if you think about the things that, that organizations spend money on. You've got products and you've got services. So we have a whole portfolio of contracts, if you will, for different types of spending categories from office supplies to pharmacy benefits management to electricity and natural gas. Size-wise, we're less than 10 and it's intentional. I think you know if we get to full potential, we might be at 20 or maybe 25 people, but the goal is to be small, nimble, and efficient. So we've built a lot of what we do in a way that's scalable and repeatable, leveraging technology. And yeah. so where we are now, we're, we are, we've gone through probably three different phases of organizational growth and figuring things out. Hmm. We're growing. We're picking up the pace of our growth. And the goal is to grow as fast as we can and continue to grow for the next you know, 10 or 20 years. Very cool. Yeah. One of the things I want to tag on to that you were talking about was that cross-pollination side. And I, I love what you were talking about, about coming into an industry that you don't know. I've, I've always assumed that that was one of the great ways of doing things. And people try to hire within the same industry. Why should people not hire from the same industry all the time? Well, fresh eyes. You know, it's, you know, yeah. Why do you hire a consultant? A consultant is coming in and they're looking at how you operate today because, and they have fresh eyes. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm a big believer in, in really, frankly, in all aspects of life that fresh eyes are really, really important. So fresh eyes are good at recognizing the strengths that already exist and saying, hey, we need to keep those. We need to build on those. Mm -hmm. But they're also, that's where you get your best ideas is from people who, who aren't, their thinking isn't hemmed in by what they already know or what they've experienced. Yeah. What they're able to do is say, hey, this reminds me of the situation I saw in that industry yeah. over there. And you know, in our current business today, in the world of public sector group purchasing, it was what we started doing was a response to the idea that, geez, we need to consolidate governments to save money. 
And I said, well, okay, but if the goal is saving money and consolidating governments is really hard, what if you ask the question, flip the question around, something I know that, that Jeff and Craig, you guys like to do, what if we ask the question instead, in what ways can we save money without consolidating governments? <laughs> and the answer actually comes from Fortune 500 America. Yeah. Because in Fortune 500 America, they in-house do what they're really good at, and they outsource everything else. I mean, yeah. you know, they don't have their own payroll departments. They outsource IT. They outsource a lot of the you know, software implementation to people who specialize in other things so that, that those organizations can specialize in what they're good at. Why not take that thinking from Fortune 500 America and bring that into local governments across the country? Very good. Excellent question. You are a very good questioner, David. Second best I've ever met. <laughs> right. I was going to say number two. Number two. <laughs> Uh, real quick, one other insight I'd like to give everyone on you, David, you know, we've known each other a long time and I know so much about the ways you approach things and your thinking, but I, if you could talk for just a second, you mentioned your work in lottery and I know you actually have a patent related to lottery that I remember seeing it and you were, you, it, I know you have three beautiful children, but I think this was your fourth child, the way you were holding, holding it up with the, showing the seal. Could you give us a really quick overview of what that patent was so the audience can say, oh, that's how this crazy guy thinks. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so this was, I think it was in, well, September 11th of 2000. I was driving from downtown Cleveland uh, out to a suburban hospital. My nephew had just been born and I was going to see him. And I, and I passed one of those signs on the highway that said, you know, what the jackpot, the lottery jackpot was for you know, the next drawing. And in the next 15 minutes, just looping around on the highway, I was thinking about it. And the thoughts that just started popping in my head were, well, lotteries are effectively a regressive tax on poor people. And very few people actually make money on the, on the lottery, mm -hmm. but they're spending money. Folks who buy lottery tickets regularly are spending money. So is there a way that we can make the spending of that money uh, something where they can get a return on the investment mm -hmm. regardless of whether or not they win? So they had that thought in my head. And then the other thought I had in my head was target marketing works. So if you know what people's buying patterns are and start to target your marketing towards those individuals, you can typically increase sales by 15, 20, 25%. And so the thought was, hey, if someone presents their driver's license or state ID when they're buying a lottery ticket, you can then tie what they purchase to that individual, which mm -hmm. then means you can start target marketing. And if you can increase the sales by 15, 20, 25%, trying to grow the sales of people who play occasionally, like me, so that the people who play a lot, those folks in the top 10% who, as I researched it, are typically one or more of the following, poor, making less than $10,000 a year, high school dropouts, single, uh, and black. And that's, that's the population that spends far and away, it's like 80, 85% of the money that goes in the lotteries. So if you could take those top 10% and maybe carve out 5 or 10% of what they pay into the lottery, put it into a retirement account, put it into a 529 account, whatever, you'd have to be tracking the spending or the purchasing in order to do that, which then means you have the ability to target market to the other 90% who aren't any of those five different categories, frankly, who can afford to spend more in the lottery and get them increased the sales. So the total lottery revenue goes up, which is a good thing because most lottery dollars go to the schools. And you can start creating retirement security for those folks who, frankly, are addicted to lotteries. Wow. And that was like 15 minutes, right? And then it, yeah. that it literally, that's yeah, it, it was a short drive. <laughs> yeah. so, 
So if any of you are, your head is spinning right now, that's what my life is being around David. A. <laughs> so, so like, you know, you do, you can be, and, and generally are disruptive with your thinking, David. Mm-hmm. And um, we want to talk today about a couple things, but you know, I know that your team is really important to you and you have long since I've known you seeing your team is incredibly valuable and something you want to invest in. So start off, share with us your sort of basic philosophy about team members and particularly their growth as team members. Sure. So when we go through the hiring process, I I have two cardinal rules that I share with everybody and and, and they fall in the category of the do and the don't. So the do is I tell people that of all the different skill sets and characteristics and capabilities that are out there, the thing that I value the most is initiative. It's people who can not only identify a problem or an opportunity and say, we ought to do something about that, but it's people <laughs> who can actually come back and say, hey, I'm seeing something and I'm not really sure, but here's one or two or three ideas that I really think that, that, we, could, that we could do. And I value that more than anything because at the end of the day, that means that other people are thinking. And when you run your own companies, you guys both know, there's plenty of thinking already. (laughs) So if you can get other people thinking for you, quick funny story, when I had a technology-based security company years ago called Eagle Check, my business partner came in one day and he goes, David, I've been talking to some of the employees and they've got a real problem. I said, well, what's the problem? He goes, well, they're complaining. They come into you and they have, Jeff, to your point, great ideas. And you listen to him and ask a bunch of questions. And, and I said, yeah, and what's wrong with that? And he goes, well, your most common response is, sounds great, go do it. Go <laughs> <laughs> figure. What's wrong with that? And they're like, well, but it puts more work on their plate. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't like that kind of initiative, right? But the point is, I look for people who will take ownership of those. My, my don't in the hiring process, and frankly, the number one reason that I fired people over the years, is I'll say, I hate high school. And they'll look at me like the drama. I can't stand the drama. If you've got a problem with this person, go talk to this person. Right. You can't right. come talk to me and I'll facilitate a conversation. <laughs> but you don't go and talk to that person about this person. That's, that's drama. And that doesn't work right. for me. And everybody agrees. It's fascinating. Everybody nods. Oh, I hate high school. Oh, it's terrible. And I hate drama. And about 40 or 50% of the people can't help themselves. And so <laughs> out they go. Right. Well, it's funny that you, you were talking about that whole issue of, you know, when somebody comes up with an idea, they should just do it. I remember in my first company, my, my business partner, absolutely brilliant guy. I would come to my, and his name was Craig as well. And I would say, hey, Craig, what if we do this? And he's like, oh, that's a great idea. This is what I've already done with it. Like, that's a good business partner. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's perfect. So Jeff, to answer, to, to answer your question about, about some of the things that we do, I make a commitment that every, to every person that joins our team. And that commitment is that when you leave here, under whatever the circumstance and in whatever time frame, my commitment to you is that you will be a better person, personally and professionally, than you were when you walked in the door. And that, that's my commitment to the team. And Fantastic. I want to pause on that for a minute, yeah. David, because that is you hitting that. You just you basically just drilled um, Cartavera, which you know a little bit about, right between the eyes. Because yeah. the core foundation is growing people, growing leaders, growing businesses, and growing lives, and it's people first. And that right. to me is it's yeah. it's not about business; it's about the person. I love and I love that you frame it as a commitment. 
Right. This is not even a goal. My commitment to you, which is personal, is you will leave here a better person no matter what the circumstances are of you leaving. I love it. Right. Love it. Yep. yep. Yeah, and 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 you know what happens is I, I think by setting that tone, first of all, you're setting an expectation. You're setting an expectation that, oh, we're supposed to be getting better. I'm not just clocking in and clocking out, regardless of whether I have a job that's literally a clock in, clock out type of job. I think that's part of it. But then, but some of the the techniques and practices that we've developed over time then start to make sense. And and I'll tell you about one of them. And that is, you know, I always thought the idea of an annual review where you sit down in front of your boss and your boss tells you the few things that you've done well and the litany of things that you suck at and then tells you whether you're getting a raise or not. And then you don't talk about it again for a year. That's never made any sense to me. So one, that it's just once a year. Two, that it's a one-way discussion, right? It's from the boss telling you, not the other way around. Those two things really bothered me. So what we do is we have, I mean, I tell people when I hire them, you're not going to get a raise on January 1st just because it's January 1st. Just take that. You may be used to that. People get raises here when they've earned them and or when they come and make the case to me of not just I want more money, but here's why I deserve more money. I just Mm -hmm. gave somebody a 10% raise a few weeks ago because he came in and he made a really good argument. I'm like, (laughs) okay, you're right. You deserve a raise. Yeah. So what we do is we do a quarterly review and it's with, and so, you know, if it's uh, our ops person, it's with the ops person, there'll be two, two people senior to her that are in the review, uh, Keith, my VP of sales and me, and it's a bilateral discussion and it takes people generally two cycles. They have to go through two of these reviews before they truly realize that when I say it's bilateral, bi-directional, that I mean, because <laughs> uh, yeah. they're not used to it. But we have three basic questions that we ask. Before the you go there, question, the questions, David. Yeah. Why do you think it takes two or three cycles? Oh, uh, because they've never done something like this before. They're used to the one-way reviews. Hmm. And when so you're talking about bilateral, you're talking about they're they're also evaluating you, right? Absolutely. Okay. And Absolutely. so in that piece of they haven't done it. So how much of that do you think is because this is a big topic we're going to be talking a lot about in Cartavera. How much do you think is that about a trust issue? Trusting it's okay to actually speak yeah. up. Well, I think I certainly think that's a part of it. Uh, so, and part of the reason why people don't trust is because they've never been exposed to it. Right. Right. So it's first of all, someone has to tell you we want to have bi-directional conversation, mm-hmm. and then secondly, they have to demonstrate it to you. Yeah. And so most of the people who've ever come to work for us have never had anybody tell them they want a bilateral conversation. (laughs) You that have had someone tell them that have really actually experienced a bilateral communication style. So when we, that's why I'm saying it usually takes at least two cycles because we're on, everybody brings the baggage from their prior boss or prior experience and all that. And it, you know, brings that forward and anticipates that what that's what their new environment is going to be like. So it takes people a while, Jeff, to your point, to build the trust that, wow, these guys actually mean it. Yeah, one of the, I, I think you're familiar with Simon Sinek and in, in his uh, book, Leaders Eat Last, he talked about the importance of creating a safe environment, that people are yeah. engaged when they feel safe. And a big part of that is just what you're talking about. It's okay to speak up. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to give feedback and to have it be in your terms bilateral and I won't get bit my head bitten off or do it. <laughs> right, and it'll be right. heard. 
So uh, yeah, I, I applaud you for the creating that environment. Okay, yeah, so a couple cycles. And yep. then so, what so, so let's say we're in the third cycle. <laughs> so in the third <laughs> cycle, we start off by reviewing what we discussed last time and checking if there are any action items, were those action items addressed? And seeing if there's been any changes. Was, was something that was working before not working now or vice versa? But then we had three questions and I always had the employee go for the, the lowest person, the person's review it is go first. And so that they, so that we're not as management shaping their conversation. And yeah, so the first point. question is what's working and they sit there and talk about whatever's working and we may get in a dialogue. We may simply just be writing down a list and then Keith goes on what's working and then I go on what's working. So we address the what's working stuff first in part because psychologically it's, it's, it's not constructive or it's not negative and people, you know, it gets people in the, in the mode of sharing. Right. The second question you can probably guess is what's not working. And the key here is that what's not working can be anything. Yeah. It can be the work environment. It could be someone's attire. It could be projects that they're working on. It could be outside folks. It could be inside folks. It, it, everything is fair game. So the second question is what's not working, same order, the person, Keith, and then me. And there we might have some more discussion about, okay, what can we do to solve that? What are some things that we can try? Oh, we've had this issue before. Let's try and bring that forward. Or I read about something in a book somewhere or whatever. And that's the one where the action items are most commonly identified is, is trying to solve for what's not working. The last question we ask is what's missing? Hmm. So is there something that, we haven't thought about or that you experienced somewhere else or we experienced somewhere else or where we'd like to see you grow or where you'd like to grow and develop new skills. So we asked those three questions and then we close with, Hey, last quarter when we talked, here's what you were working on in terms of your personal and or professional development. We I had one of these reviews this morning uh, in the last quarter, uh, David Robbins, the guy that we were talking to had said that he wanted to get better at public speaking. So we encouraged him to try it. There's a Toastmasters right across the street. And so it said, look, go to that one, go to one by your house, try it out, see if you like it. So today it was check-in time. Hey, are you doing Toastmasters? He said, yeah, I picked one. I'm going. I really like it. And he started telling us about what he likes about it. And so then my question was, okay, so you got that going. Good. We know what you're working on over the next three months professionally, and there'll be some growth in there because you're doing some new things. Is there anything else that you'd like to work on over the course of the next quarter? And if so, let's figure out where Keith and I can help you achieve that. And he said, you know what? My plate's full right now. I'm just getting the Toastmasters. I want to keep doing that. And I've got a lot of new stuff I'll be working on this quarter. I'm good. We said, okay. But three months from now, we'll check in on that again. Let's take a quick pause and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. The Cartavera Tribe is a membership program like nothing else you've seen. In addition to training and resources, you'll also have access to Craig and Jeff, as well as masterminds, coaching, implementation plans, game days that challenge your thinking and accelerate your growth, and a personal growth Sherpa who will be your guide on the side to help you achieve your biggest goals. You can find out more at cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. Or 
just click the link in the show notes. Welcome back. So, that, so David, I'm curious, um, how often do you find your team member? I mean, I think this is just, unfortunately, very unique. Unfortunately, <laughs> I wish you, I'd love to say, God, I hear this all the time. And I don't. I don't hear about quarterly reviews. And the main thing I hear is we don't have time for that. We don't have time. And, I, you know, to me, that's saying we don't have time to help our people grow. Yeah, yeah it's, it's an hour. Crazy. So it's you're making hour. time for it. The other thing I'm curious about is. That's what leadership is. Yeah. Put the time, invest the time. How often do your people, your team members need help figuring out like what growth looks like <laughs> versus just get better uh, at something? So interesting questions. Uh, I may or may not be answering directly the way you're asking, Jeff. The, the, there are times, sometimes people walk in and they go, this is something I clearly need to work on. Other times we just, we actually have a conversation and we start drawing things out. I've got, I've got a guy in my team who told me a year ago that he was one year into his 10 year plan to own his own business. He's our graphic designer and he wants to be an entrepreneur full time. He, he moonlights now, but he wants to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And so that was incredibly helpful for us because and you guys have been there when yeah. you started companies and you've run companies, you, you, you learn the areas what, what you're good at. <laughs> you, also, you also learn where, unless you find somebody who's good at it, you need to develop skill sets. And yeah. so what I'll do with Dave is we call him Dave, there's three Daves on our team. So we call him <laughs> Dave O. And what I'll do with Dave O is and actually I did it yesterday. As a matter of fact, I sat down and said, Dave O, we've got made some changes in staffing. This provides a real opportunity for you to expand in other areas. Hmm. Here's the three different types of things that you can step into. Wow. Where would you like to step into? And what was interesting was he wants to step into more technical stuff. We're trying to get him spending more time engaging with people outside the organization. He's, he's very introverted. Yeah. He's very good at what he does, but he's introverted. And he's not ready for it yet. And he said so. And I said, okay, well, you, you got eight years left, right? You're, <laughs> you're two years in your 10-year plan. And Keith and I talked afterwards, and Keith's comment was, I understand why Davo doesn't want to have more of that external interaction. And maybe right this second isn't the right time. But over the course of the next three to six months, Keith's like, I'm going to have him in some of those conversations because yeah. he's going to need that to grow. That's very good. Now, can he do that in a safe place, like doing it with somebody else sure. initially? Absolutely. We'll, we'll ease them in. First, it's we'll do it, you watch. Yep. Then we'll do it together. Then you do it, we'll watch. Right. So, and we won't throw him to the wolves. Even if he never gets to the point where he's entirely comfortable on his own, that's okay. For what he wants to accomplish in his life after he leaves here, he's going to have to have those skill sets. And I, I frankly think we'd be, it'd be frankly immoral. We'd be, we'd be horribly remiss if we didn't prepare him to be successful in what he wants to do. That is such a refreshing perspective because I, I've been down that same path with some people that have worked with me as well. And it's, it's like, okay, let's give those developmental opportunities. And sometimes they feel like they're not ready, but sometimes they need that push to Absolutely. say, you know, we, we believe in you. We know that you can handle this and I know it's uncomfortable, but that's in that space where you're doing that, that's where you grow. Absolutely. Now, I will say there's a flip side to this, this focus on growth, and that is because we're hyper-focused on it, there are times that we realize that there are certain people on the team who aren't going to belong on the team. Yep. So, and they could be good at what they're doing now, but if they're unable and unwilling to grow uh, or don't have the capacity or say that they want to grow but don't, 
then that then we start to have a cultural dissonance. Yeah. And that's a flag to us that even if they're good performers, they're not going to be a long-term fit here because that growth is expected from me to everybody else. That growth is expected and yeah. we're all going to get better. And, and I, frankly, I don't want people on my team who don't share that kind of commitment because our core values are out of alignment. Yeah. Very good point. Now, can you look at that person and say, you know what, there's an opportunity in another area where we think you can grow into, mm-hmm. or is it just that, you know, what they are in right now, they just can't see that growth? Well, no, I'm talking more broadly. If, okay. there's not a, right. if there's not a commitment to to getting better and to improve. Oh, gotcha. I had a conversation with someone recently where there'd been a miss and you know, when you have misses with employees <laughs> and it was probably the 10th of the same misses that we've had. Okay. And, and her response was, you know what, that's on me. I messed up. And I just looked at her and I said, Hey, the first time you make the miss. Okay. So we identify it the second time. Not so I said, but at this point, simply saying that that's on me, isn't taking ownership. Uh, someone gave me, told me the line again recently, sorry means I'm never going to do it again. <laughs> and taking ownership means that you're going to learn from it. And when yeah. people keep making the same mistakes over and over again, again, that's an issue. Uh, that's not even growth. That's, that's, that's just not even recognizing that you're making a mistake and you got to fix it. But if you We're can't not care that, you're not going to grow. Yeah. yeah. could also just be that they don't care. And it could be that. Yeah. And that, and that can get, sounds like that gets revealed in the process. Mm-hmm. So um, sounds like a good process. Yeah. So as we're getting closer to the end of this segment, David, you already touched on it with your example. You called it a flip. I'd actually say, and this is the, you know, this is impact leadership podcast. And I want you to speak to this impact. What's the impact of the things you're doing, the way you're doing it on you, on the team, and in particular on the performance of the organization, because right. you just identified an impact that most people miss by having this process, you find out who's a good fit and who's a not. That sure. to me is a powerful impact Huge. because they told you whether they belong. <laughs> you didn't decide if they belong. They right. told you, I don't belong here because of this process. So speak to some of the impact of doing things the way you're doing them. So I, I think there's several. I'm sure I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss some important ones here because there's, there's a number. But one of them is just in terms of the culture, the people who work here love working here. Hmm. And, and you, know, you know, there's a percentage of people who love their job. But when, you have, when you're surrounded by a team of people who love the culture and who will voluntarily, routinely say, God, I love working here, or this place is so different than anywhere I've worked, or whatever that case may be, that speaks really well not only to the team that we have here today, but also when we're out recruiting to fill, oh, yeah. to fill spaces that you know, there's, not, there's not bad stuff about working here. It's actually just the opposite. It's like this place is really cool. It's totally different. And I feel completely confident having a potential employee walk through and talk to anybody in our organization and ask the question, what's it like to work here? That's an so employer that, of choice. It's, yeah. it's retention. It's attraction. It, it's everything. So that's, that's awesome. one piece. The second piece, and it seems sort of self-evident, but that if you've got people who are getting better and are capable of doing more and doing more well, that means that you can grow. And that means that, I mean, you know, again, it seems really obvious, but it also means that for the leadership, and you talked, Jeff, you're mentioning the impact leadership. It also means that I have fewer HR issues to deal with because <laughs> yes. you, get, you get fired if you're a drama person. I mean, we'll work with you a little bit, but if you can't cure that, you're gone. 
Yeah. So, so it reduces the HR issues. I remember talking to a friend of mine, he's got 150 people that work for him. And I was asking him how things were going. He said, well, I got 150 employees and I got 150 HR problems. (laughs) (laughs) That's not good math. Yeah. We don't have that. There's a culture, Jeff, you brought trust earlier in a different context, but there's a culture of trust. And when there's a culture of trust combined with, you know, we actually, to your point, Jeff, we take the time to ask people what they think. Then people feel more free to share what they think, which then again means that as a CEO, I have to do less thinking because we have more ideas coming forwards and ideas from different perspectives, not maybe not the fresh eyes we talked about earlier, Craig, but ideas from different perspectives. It's a lot better than just me thinking, that's for sure. So (laughs) there's just a lot of elements that are all related around culture, around performance, around accountability, around trust, around, around retention. And when you put all that together, it, it makes coming to work an enjoyable process and fun. And, and, and so a lot of people say, oh, we want to work hard, play hard. And there's some people who really do it, but not many. And, and you know, I'm proud to say around here, we work really hard and we play really hard and we have a great time doing it. There, yeah. I, I read something years ago that the average child laughs something like 160 times a day, 160, and the average adult laughs three times a day. Wow. When I, when I read that, I'm abnormal. I don't even know. I didn't source it. I didn't go to Snopes. But when I read, it, I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm committed to the opposite. And we, yeah. we had, we had a team lunch today and one person was laughing so hard. She fell off the chair and was laughing under the table That's the kind of environment that I want to have stuff coming out of her nose and all that. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was <laughs> so nice. that, that's amazing, David. You didn't say this explicitly, but what I hear in all that is all of those impacts ultimately impact the bottom line. They make this company more profitable, faster growth in terms of revenue, you know, cost savings. You know, there's a fine, it sounds like you have a huge financial ROI on being a place that the core, what I heard in this is saying to your people, I commit when you leave here, you will be a better person personally and professionally. Right. Everything you put in place is about that commitment. And then you just described these numerous, very rich impacts on the organization and your performance. Well, it's true. And Jeff, real quick, I want to say to the people that you mentioned that say that they don't have time, I would say they can't afford not to take the time. And just one example, you lose one person because they don't feel heard or because they've got a lot of latent potential that's not being tapped into. What's the cost of losing one good person? How much in time, effort, opportunity cost? It's massive. I mean, it takes months to find the right person and then train them and so on. And you lose that person, it costs you a lot more than one hour a quarter. Absolutely. That's the cost of turnover. But what about having those people on board who are actively working against you? So, you know, getting back to the Gallup organization, their, their survey and stuff. You know, the disengaged employees, it sounds like your, your employees are not only engaged, but, you know, they're highly engaged. Yeah. And, and frankly, if we can't get people engaged, they don't stay. Yeah. <laughs> not worth, it's not worth it. Yeah. And I think also what you're talking about kind of comes back to one of the things that we like to say, you can't grow a business bigger than you are. And so right. if you're not continuing to grow, you can't grow your business. Right. It's absolutely true. And, and speaking of that, that, that's a great segue. Um, you know, the... Uh, so grateful for all that you've shared already, David, and your wisdom and very tangible, practical, actionable ideas that show the impact. But every guest we have on, we ask them a couple questions. And I, I know that you're a lifetime learner. 
But I, there's two questions, and the first one I, I want to ask you about, David, is a book. I know you're a voracious reader. Yep. I don't think you sleep at all because you read. <laughs> but I know you're up to about three hours a night from what I remember, right? I'm up, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm up to four and a half now, I think. Wow. Well, slacker. (laughs) But you're a reader. So uh, what's what's one book that really comes to mind to you that has had an impact on you, your leadership, and your organization? Well, I have it. I I buy them by the box. Scaling up. There you go. So this is the the second edition, if you will, of a book that I read, I think, Jeff, with you uh, close to 20, uh, no, not 15 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by yep. Vern Harnish, and the 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 scaling up 2.0 has much more actionable content, and Mastering the Rockefeller Habits had plenty. This one has yep. even more. The one thing that's a little sad to me is that scaling up 2.0 is missing the the underlying premise of Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, which was studying the habits of John D. Rockefeller, who built the Standard Oil Company as the richest man on the planet in the history of the planet at the time and looking at what he did to be successful. And in, in the book, it taught, and all these different tools and practices are built around three fundamental principles. Number one is clearly identifying your priorities as an organization, as a team, as individuals. Number two is having data that tells you what's actually going on. And number three is establishing a rhythm of communication in your organization. And yep. what I really like about Scaling Up 2.0 is it there are literally dozens of different types of worksheets to help you go through a process to clearly identify from a distance you know long term what are we trying to accomplish and then back that all the way down to what do we need to do tomorrow so i live by this book we do the i've got my handy dandy one page strategic plan right here everybody in our company has one of these things if you haven't done one of these are amazing so scaling up 2.0 that would be the book i'd recommend that has been life-changing to me so that's basically your operating system for your business? Yep. A lot of people okay. do traction. I have nothing against traction. For whatever reason, this system just mm-hmm. it spoke to me and I've deployed it for right brain, left brain, every different MBTI or disk profile, <laughs> and it works. Fantastic. Great to hear that. Awesome. Thanks, David. And, and the other question, you know, there's all sorts of ideas we all share, and I've used the word a couple times, wisdom. As your, your parting share, what's one big piece of wisdom around leadership that comes to you that you can share with our listeners. The single about having most, more impact. This is about having yeah. more impact. Around having more impact, the single most important skill that I made a conscious decision to to hone and refine and continue to improve is the ability to facilitate. Oh, and fantastic. When you think about facilitation. It, it's actually I looked it up to so I make sure I had the right definition. So facilitation <laughs> It's actually a really simple definition to make an action or process easier. <laughs> wow. That's it. And is so, there a, is, I'm sorry, is there a particular person that you would say that epitomizes that for you? Jeff is phenomenal at it. A guy by the name of Roy, Tr- <laughs> yeah. Jeff really is. I mean, when people call me and ask, ask me if I know a good facilitator, if, if I feel like my plate's too full, I call Jeff. <laughs> but, uh, but Jeff the, is an amazing facilitator. Yes, he's really good at. It. But the, if you think about it, and you could take any context, but facilitation isn't just facilitating a workshop. Facilitation right. is facilitating anything to make a process easier. Yeah. And so when I think about we we run, the way we run meetings is 
and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I have worked relentlessly through observation, through trying things and so on to figure out how to run and facilitate the most effective meeting possible. And meetings are only effective when they have a clearly defined objective and you achieve it. And if there are decisions that are made, they're clearly articulated in writing so that everybody is on the same page. And if there are action items, they're clearly defined with person who's responsible and a time frame for delivery. But the way that you get the most out of the meeting is making sure that everybody participates in the discussion. And there's techniques that we use to do that. And then what I did is we actually had a quarterly theme. I think the third quarter last year, we called it Making Meetings Marvelous, which I spent the quarter training people on my team how to run meetings when I'm not around because I've worked at getting good at it. Now I need to make sure that they're good at it. Very good. I love the idea of the quarterly theme. Yeah, Yeah, that's scaling up 2.0. There you go. So David, uh, thank you so much. Thanks for all that you've shared, your wisdom. Um, One real quick thing. What's the best way if there's folks out there that want to reach out to you, learn more about you, learn more about your company, what's the best way for them to do that and find you? To learn more about our company, www.sourcingalliance.org. And if they want to reach me, Jeff, you know this, email's a bane of my existence. Call me, 216-280-5801. That's my cell phone number. Yeah, I do know that about you and email, David. You, yeah. <laughs> I know that well. So, David, thank you so much again for joining us here on the Impact Leadership Podcast. I'm sure we could go on for hours, as we have before, in various different venues. And very much appreciate you sharing not just the wisdom, but how you're applying it every day and letting our listeners hear very specific ways that they can grow themselves, grow their team, grow their business, and grow their life all at the same time. So thank you, Dave. Thank Greg, you. Jeff, thank you. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.